Legal discussion on Tip Today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. Glad to be joined by John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Beautiful weather out there, John. It yeah. Might lift our spirits. Day, I think. Do you, is it? Is it? Are they not saying it's going to change tomorrow, no? Oh, what it? I, I'm not sure. I thought it was Thursday, but... Uh, oh, maybe Thursday. Yeah. Oh, I'll take Thursday. I'll take Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you're going to talk to us about the three wise men who have been upgraded to four wise men. Um, that's right. That's, that's right. I added one more. Did you tell us about uh, that? I, I added one more. Because the other one is the attorney under the enduring power of attorney uh, mechanism that we have in Ireland, which is <clears throat> basically... It's what we call a living will in the in the trade, and it's you make a will. <coughs> sorry, excuse me. <coughs> you make a will, which deals with the fact when you have moved on to the next kingdom, and you make an enduring power of attorney where you lack capacity. So, if for some reason or other you're no longer able to manage your affairs, that some reason or other being that you no longer have the capacity to make decisions on your own behalf. And under those circumstances, you, you do an enduring power of attorney. And the kind of key person that's involved in that is the attorney. Funny, there was a, <clears throat> a case, as usual, um, it always seems to be the case that a case pops up when you're reading on a particular subject. Mm. There's a recent case on it. Because people often ask, you know, is there any controls that you can apply to people like, you know, executors. We were talking about executors last week. And, well, I hope you were off sunning yourself. But, uh, I wish. The, <laughs> but the executor is controlled, the, the legal system controls uh, all of these uh, nominated people, if you know what I mean. Mm. You nominate them, but they, are, they do come under the control of the legal system. And uh, the attorneys come under control of the legal system in one kind of kind of key key kind of function that they have, but which is that they don't have a function, if you like, until such time mm-hmm. as the person loses capacity. And so apologies for cutting across you, John, but the attorneys yeah. you're making reference to here now is is not a solicitor. You're talking about the people correct. the yeah, people who have correct. been chosen to carry out the the, the wishes. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Full marks, full marks, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. In a nutshell, they're the people nominated to act in your place. So they're not attorneys in the sense that mm-hmm. we use that kind of broad term for solicitors or anybody else, like you know, barrister or mm-hmm. whatever it might be your attorney as well. Um, but you know, in this particular case, funny, it's a case. Uh, all judges have their own little idiosyncrasies, and insofar as you can often spot what judge is writing a judgment by the kind of the way they write it. And I noticed that this particular judge in this case, I've noticed him making very kind of uh, interesting comments about different things. And he made two interesting comments in this judgment. And this judgment was a judgment that he handed down literally in May, on the 6th of May. And it was about your classic scenario where a power of attorney was put into place uh, two attorneys were appointed and uh, the person lost capacity. And once they lost capacity, the, the people appointed as attorneys then go to register 
the document, which is the enduring power of attorney document, which gives them power to do whatever it is that the person nominated that they would do, because obviously it can be as wide or as narrow as you want it to be. But in this particular case, the judge said that this was an example of the perfect storm of family dysfunction. And wow. he, yeah, I mean, uh, and he then went on to say that um, one of the objecting family members had done a degree in psychology and that this might in some way have affected the reason or the logic of them storing up all of what were old kind of wounds mm. within the family, you know. But the funny thing is, uh, not the funny thing, but the, the thing that we've often talked about uh, is the actual cost uh, element to this, whatever about the emotional cost of it, but the actual financial cost of it, because if you start at the end, you know, at the end of every case, the judge has to deal with an issue of costs, you know, who's going to pay who mm. and on what basis are they going to make the payments? And uh, there is a big argument at the end of it about costs because there's a kind of a general kind of belief out there that the law is still the same when you come to arguing about anything to do with wills or something equivalent to a will, that costs are covered by, if you like, the estate in the case of a will or by the the, the donor, of the, in other words, by the person who gets the benefit of the jury power of attorney, mm. so the person who loses capacity, if you know what I mean. So, so there's kind of, there was a kind of a general belief out there, and I, I'd imagine that it was a belief that was somewhat kind of held by the people who took this action, that they had some sort of an umbrella cover uh, for costs in the event of taking this case. Because the general logic of it is, you know, it's for the benefit of the estate and, you know, it's only people trying to make sure things are done properly, etc. Because under the in the Powers of Attorney Act 96, which amended in 2010 with the, you know, the new incapacity legislation, but... Um, the general rule is that costs follow the event. That's normally what happens. So, mm. And it's something that people often forget about, that if you lose your case, you lose not only your own costs, but you also are reliable for the other person's costs. So if you, if the argument here was that because it was an enduring power of attorney and that all that these people were doing were questioning whether the attorneys were doing their job, that under those circumstances they should have this protection, this cover for costs. And they didn't get it here. They, they not only did, did, did they have to pay their own costs, but did they have to pay their own costs, but they also had to pay, I think he, he said, six-sevenths of the costs. He allowed them a small bit in terms of costs for the amount of time that mm. they were actually spending on what he considered were reasonable objections. So, it was And, and were, they, were they family members, John? Yes, yes. Yes. Okay. Right. They were. So, because you see, when you're looking at a power of attorney, and this is going to be very prevalent and very relevant when you're talking about the, you know, we talked about this decision making, assist decision making capacity mm. act 2015 that came in, surprisingly enough, in 2015. But the, when that act came in, I remember talking to you about it and saying that mm. I thought it was a very interesting piece of legislation because. It deals, you know, I mean, we're talking about cocooning person, people during this COVID-19 crisis, and we're, we're suddenly looking at whole, uh, you know, issues around nursing homes and around the care of vulnerable people. Mm. 
Well, I mean, the whole decision-making legislation, this 2015 Act, was brought in to give a certain width to the amount of legal mechanisms that you're going to have available to you to deal with assisting people who need assistance from a capacity point of view. And the, the bottom line on it is that when you're looking at it, there's going to be a certain amount of supervision of that because you can have abuse in those circumstances. But in the, in the case that we're looking at here, this supervision was there under the old legislation, if you like, the 1996 legislation. But it's still there and much more prevalent and will become much more prevalent under the new legislation because they're going to set up a brand new authority to deal with it, which, of course, is now 2020, I think we are, Mm. 2020 vision, and we're five years on and still hasn't been set up fully as of yet. Uh, uh, Understandably, at the moment, you wouldn't be expecting that it would have a high priority. But the thing about it is the overseeing of it. When you look at a power of attorney or appointment as an executor or an appointment as a trustee or an appointment as a guardian, these are all appointments made to individuals. And, uh, you know, as I call them, the four wise men, three, three gone to four wise men, these are the nominated people that you nominate to look after your affairs. But if you look at the... uh, the fact that none of it or all of it has to be subject to supervision. And it's the supervision element of it that came to the fore in that recent case, because in that particular case, there were shares sold to fund improvements to the house. And it was on the basis of the shares and the selling of the shares that the non-attorneys, family members came into court and said, look, look at what they've done. They have uh, sold uh, shares and used it to improve the house and we don't think they should have done that and in fact they conceded that it wasn't the best thing to do in terms of the timing point of view and all that all that. but they grounded like under the legislation you can object to the appointment of the attorneys mm. so when you get to the point where it gets to get be reg- become registered because that's what actions or activates the actual power so you don't have the power until it's approved. And once it's approved, then you can then proceed to do whatever it is you need to do to look after the person. Mm. And under those but that's circles, very subjective, I would imagine, uh, John, is it? Well, in, in the circumstance that we're talking about, you can go in the power of the court and in, t- in time the power of the new agency the decision making agency mm. that that agency it is subjective but it's subject it's subject to the ordinary rules that would apply in any legal situation which is the man on the omnibus kind of scenario that's the term they use I don't think the capital omnibus runs around Dublin but we mm. say the man on the Lewis or woman on the Lewis the scenario there is you kind of use a kind of a certain kind of common sense or common belief as to what's a reasonable thing to do in circumstances right. and as long as somebody you know what I mean they, you know a court isn't going to start supervising stuff to any great extent like that but but obviously, when it comes to it, the, anybody can go in who have, has an interest in the situation can make an application. By and large, it's, it's family members. They can make an application, object to the appointment of the, the attorneys, which is what happened in this case. Mm. And the judge said, no, no basis on which to make an objection to it. And, and, but in doing all that, would have been, a lot of money would have been spent 
And in that particular case as well, you know, there's this term and there's this mechanism that's often used within the legal system. It's called Calder Bank offer. And it just, it's only called Calder Bank offer because that's the case that, if you like, mm. it was first discussed in. So a Calder Bank offer is that I, you and I are having a row. We come to a court scenario. We're going on to hearing. And I write you an open letter and I say, Fran, dear Fran, uh, about our little row here, uh, I'm agreeable to paying you X, Y, as edge, I'm agreeable to doing the following things, and here, you know, here's my offer to you. And then I close it off with, and if you don't take this offer, I will hand this case, this this up at the end of the case to the judge, and the judge then, uh, if if you don't beat it, kind of thing, then you could be liable to cost. So it's called a called bank offer. Very similar to making a lodgement. You know, you not think of situations in uh, in a case. Mm. Your standard kind of road traffic scenario, you might have personal injuries, and you might you'll often get to the other side lodging a certain amount of money, not yes. actually physically lodging money in court, but actually putting it up there by way of an offer. So similar kind of situation. So this that's a very long road around to the whole scenario of the the wise men scenario. But one of the important things, of course, is where you're appointing, as we said last week, an executor or you're appointing an attorney under an enduring power of attorney, or if you're appointing a guardian under a will, or you're appointing a trustee. All of those functions are subject to supervision number one. But more importantly, they're also subject to your decision as to who to appoint and what kind of powers to give them. Because, And they're very convenient mechanisms that are available to people to forward plan for things mm. because if you look at if you look at the go back to the 2015 Act uh, the Assisted Decision Making Act under that Act there would be even more uh, available mm. assisted decision making mechanisms to people which again opens out that whole scenario of you know making sure when you're making the decision first of all being aware of the fact that it's available to you mm. and knowing that you have these mechanisms open to you I mean, trusts, for example, let's take trusts. I mean, trusts are one that comes up and people don't even realise that they're doing it. And I don't mean that. I'm not, I'm being a bit facetious when I say that. Mm. But when you do a will, you know, a lot of people have trusts and uh, don't realise that they have them. Just explain trust to to us now. Yeah, a trust. A trust, yeah. A trust is a situation, like the the most common uh, mechanism for a trust under a will situation is you've got children under age mm. um, and you're in a situation where you're trying to plan for the fact that if something were to happen to the parents, you would set up a trust. Some of those you'd nominate trustees, which are almost equivalent, same kind of uh, mechanisms as executors and the same mechanism as you would have for attorneys. So you appoint, it, appoint these people to actually manage the financial affairs for the children. So they would be controlling uh, things like, you know, whatever the assets are there, uh, if the house has to be sold. Well, is that uh, from a specific pot of money that is the financing of the trust, if you know what I mean? Yes, it's it, the, the, whole, the whole idea of a trust is that whatever assets are there go in under the control of the trustees. Mm. So in other words, like, I mean, it's, it's, 
if you've got minor children, there's the family home and there might be an insurance policy that might be paid out Mm. or you might have money in a bank account or you might have money coming out of a pension. You know, so any of those assets come within the the power and control of the trustees. Mm. And when they come within the power and control of the trustees, the trustees then depending on the kind of trust that you're talking about, and broadly speaking, without getting into too much detail on it, broadly speaking, you can have a discretionary trust or you can have a fixed trust. So what's the difference? It kind of is what it sounds like. One is discretionary. So you can give total discretion to the trustees Mm. to not pay the beneficiaries at all. So, for example where you'd often use a discretionary trust over a fixed trust. And a fixed trust is where everybody knows precisely what's going to happen. Mm. It's set out in the trust document. Normally the will. So if somebody's if somebody puts out their will there and they've done a standard husband and wife will, they will often have, I leave everything to the husband. Let's say I leave everything to my wife. And if, I, if she dies before me, then the following happens and the following happens will be I appoint so and so as my executors, I appoint two other people as my trustees and then you set out that the trust is for your children and that the the circumstances of the trust are that the children will get the benefit when the youngest reaches right. a certain age, etc. So that's a fixed trust. So there's no kind of if but to maybe about that. The only what maybe about it is what happens in the intervening period, and in the intervening period, your trustees are your kind of financial managers. They manage it until the first time as the children get it. But there's no question mark about whether the children do or don't get it. Mm. I mean, the other one that you'd come across, and it kind of again straight out of uh, Dickens, where you had the what would say the you used to call them the wayward uh, family members, wayward son or whatever you mm. know. You remember when you'd be reading Dickens and your man would blow the hole in her and etc. Now, of course, that doesn't happen anymore. But where, you, where you're in a situation that uh, you want to set up a discretionary trust, that's where your discretionary trust would kick in. So your discretionary trust would literally give power to the trustees to give or not to give. Um, uh, sounds like Macbeth or something, is to give or not to give, or to be or not to be or whatever. But they can decide whether they're going to give and what they're going to give and at what point and on what way they're going to give it. So that's a discretionary trust. That's to stop, as they used to say years ago, stop your man from drinking the farm. That's it. Now you have it. Now you have it. And that's, that's exactly one of the things. Now, in a much more practical basis, of course, the one that would be more common now would be that if you had somebody with special needs within the family and you wanted to look after them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously, somebody with special needs like that, yeah, again, it's a little bit like the capacity attorney scenario. You're appointing two people who are going to literally be trustees and mind the financial affairs for this person going forward. So, because, I mean, again, very relevant for an awful lot of people where they would have somebody within the family who would be very vulnerable and they'd want to make sure that they were looked after. So that that would be your discretionary trust. Very, and, very interesting. And in your experience, since 2015 and since the act, act came in, I mean, are people, are they looking at that notion of the attorney to look after their affairs? Yes. Well, there could be two reasons for that. <laughs> One of the reasons might be that I'm incl- much more inclined to put it to clients. To do right. It. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of it is just simply knowing that it's there. Um, 
and a lot of it is it believing that it is an effective way of dealing with things. And because we're living longer, and because I mean, you know, you know, we're talking about cocooning. I mean, I have two cocooners in next door that are ninety-four and and almost ninety. You know, mm. so people are living to very much older ages now and mm. the whole issue of capacity and how they're going to be reminded and how to deal and I mean it's become very very much of a talking point in recent times as well you know I mean uh, during our COVID-19 lockdown scenario but I mean the it's, it's, it's something that kind of I wouldn't have kind of pushed it as strongly uh, and that's for a number of reasons maybe that I'm getting a bit older but also that my parents are much 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 more in in that area, mm. in that bracket, you know. But yeah, people are much more inclined now to look at wills and enduring powers of attorney. And time will tell whether they look to assisted decision-making documents because I know when I was speaking to their person, I remember before it became law, she was a huge advocate of it. She was in the Law Reform Commission and had been pushing it for years. And I'd say it's quite disappointed that it hasn't actually found its way into practical uh, application as of yet. Because one of the the kind of side issues to, to, and I think you probably put your finger on it there when you were talking about how, you know, it's a very much of a personal kind of read on a situation as to whether or not uh, something is you know, is is this in breach mm. of your function as an attorney or not? And, you know, I mean, it's something that I wouldn't talk too much about until I actually came in touch with it myself and people looking at the situation and it becoming overly uh, regulated. Mm. And, and where's the line between too much regulation and not enough yeah. regulation? Yeah. Because... You know they're going to bring in the they're going to bring in this new entity that's going to, if you like, take over a lot of the functions of the court in terms of managing it on a day to day basis. And anybody out there who has ever had to deal with the wardship office, and this is no reflection on the wardship office personnel, but anybody's had to deal with the wardship mechanism, which, by the way, they're they're going to be supposedly getting rid of and replacing it with this new system. But, you know, when you were subject to the wardship situation, I, I would have had a number of wards, committees, which is the technical term for uh, the equivalent of an attorney. They call it a committee in mm. wardship, but it's the same same idea. They're the people who are nominated to kind of do the day-to-day management side of it. And anybody who's ever been involved in that and has had to sit down and write a letter and or give me enough instructions to write to the office the worship office saying my client would like to go on holidays to such and such a place and would you mind giving us a couple of bob Mm. or my client would like to put a shed out in the back to whatever put in the lawnmower or would like to carry out repairs so you know it's it. There's a line there, and yeah. there's, there's a whole load of issues there that will be very interesting. It's, it's, it's very interesting, isn't it? All right, listen. Good, right. good, good to chat to you, John, and thanks very you much, too. much Mind indeed. I, I highly recommend you. By the way, I was watching over the weekend uh, the uh, yes. Jeffrey Epstein uh, series on 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 Netflix, and I watched. Not, I watched. You? I watched about. I watched about two of them. Fran, I did found you? It very disturbing. Yeah. Wasn't it extremely disturbing? And you know, I mean, mm. if we think we have problems here with with mm. the the the, the law and, and and stuff, uh, just like crazy. what happened over there was unbelievable. Crazy. You know, unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. 
But I mean, it's just, I mean, funny, we had our own scenario of that. I remember a couple of years back, and it is nothing compared to that. Mm. If you remember the one where you'll probably remember now faster than I will, the, the, the man who was in jail uh, because of a dangerous driving charge or something like that. And it turned out that a, a Supreme Court judge had to resign after it, a circuit court judge had to resign after it because they had made representations yeah. to the... And yeah. I mean, if you, if you think and then compare what followed oh, from our, our our scandal scenario mm. with our bishop yeah. and compare that to what happened subsequently, I mean, that helps team. I mean, I literally, to be honest with you, I just found it, I found it disturbing. Re- really that, disturbing indeed. Frightening. Uh, you know, frightening. Um, yeah, and I would highly recommend the series to, to anybody, if, mm. you, if you can bear to watch it, because it's not easy watching. Yeah, exactly. uh, John, it's a pleasure as always. Thank no you problem. so much. Thank All you. Right, Good morning right. to you. Bye-bye. And that's uh, John Lynch there of Lynch uh, Solicitors. All right, let us take a break. Back in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Subaru dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie 